Well, tonight is not just another Friday night, right? In some ways, we stand on holy ground as we gather beneath the cross. And that's what we're going to do tonight. And in order to do that well, I'm going to pray for us. God, we're thankful. And we want to see the beauty of the cross tonight. And we want to bow before you. We want to lift you high. You know each and every person in this room. You know me. You know the weakness we carry. You know the wounds we walk with into this room. You know the waywardness. Each and every sin of each and every moment, of each and every year of our lives, even just this last hour. You know all of it. And this was your answer. And we're thankful, Lord. And we pray that you would show us your face, show us your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And before I forget, after... Um, I'm finished up here, and during the final uh, set of songs, I'm going to be in the back, uh, back there in the corner. Um, and if you would like prayer, uh, if you are struck by something in uh, the scripture here uh, that you would like to receive prayer for, um, I'll be, be back there, and I would love to pray for you. Um, and so... The last four weeks on Sunday mornings, we've been journeying through Isaiah, and uh, we've been doing that in order to explain our vision statement. It is our earnest desire here at Community to see the weak, wounded, and wayward enjoy the living Jesus. The cross is the linchpin of this vision. There is no joy in the living Jesus without the cross. Why? Because apart from it, that's all that we are. Weak, wounded, and wayward. Period. But the cross has something else to say. We feel that. We feel our predicament. We're weak, wounded, and wayward. Our world is fractured. As we saw in Isaiah 40, we're like grass. Fickle and fading. We feel the weight of the curse. Even in our church, maybe even some of you, your, your physical bodies feel the weight of the curse. Maybe you deal with chronic pain. Maybe you've received a diagnosis that plagues you every day. You can't get away from it. You're acquainted with your weakness. And even you who might have a healthy body, you feel it in your bones. In your soul, there's a weakness there. There's a dependence there that we have. We can limp through life even, just getting by. We're wounded. Some of us have been sinned against in profound ways. Some of you have been sinned against in profound ways that leave pain that seems to never go away. No matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, maybe you've been sinned against your family, your friends, your co-workers, 
fellow Christians, famous pastors, maybe someone you didn't even meet. Maybe you've been dealing with wounds from distant past relationships. Either way, we find ourselves in that space. And those wounds produce something called shame. That's the fruit of woundedness. When we are sinned against, we're treated contrary to how God made us. Sin degrades the dignity that God made us with. So we grow insecure. It's another word for shame. We fear getting close to people. We're anxious socially. We identify ourselves by the sins that other people have done to us. And so we respond in turn. We reject the only one who could ever heal us, who could ever strengthen us, the living God. And we turn and we craft idols to deliver us from this curse of sin, from death. We create idols of comfort and control and sex and money, and they never deliver. They never fill us in the places that we long that they would. And when others get in the way of our pursuit, in our comfort, we wound them back. We sin against others out of our own idolatry by ignoring their needs. We find a weakness of theirs and we use it to our advantage. We live life on our own for our own desires rather than laying down our lives for one another as God called us to. And in sin, we stand guilty before God. Indebted to him. Jeremiah 2, verses 12 to 13, articulates the severity of our sin against God. Jeremiah says, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. The heavens are appalled at sin. We live in a culture that does not want to talk about sin. The only reason why the cross makes sense is because it shows us the severity of our need before the living God. It shows us its treason, its consequences. And we stand weak, wounded, and wayward with a shame that we cannot shake and a guilt that can only be paid for with death. But is that all we are? Weak, wounded, and wayward? Again, Jesus gives us the answer. Isaiah 53 gives us the answer, the only answer. And as we've been preaching through Isaiah, uh, we've seen that the first 39 chapters, Isaiah is prophesying judgment upon the people of God in exile. They've been caught up into idolatry, experiencing the, the futility of their sin. And Isaiah is prophesying that if you do not turn back, you will receive rejection, you will be crushed, you will be forsaken by the Lord. And yet at the same time, in the second half of Isaiah, starting in chapter 40, we see promises of redemption that you can come back. You can get back into fellowship with God. Forgiveness and healing and all these things. And yet within those promises, we see glimmers of a, a singular Savior, the servant of the Lord, 
who would be anointed by the Spirit, who we read in different chapters would be the chosen, delighted Son of the Father, honored in His eyes, glorified, who would bring salvation to God's people in exile. But how does He do it? How does the exalted, beloved, delighted in by the Father, Son of God, bring sinners back into fellowship with him? He suffers. In these verses, in Isaiah 53, we see the severity of what was necessary and the lengths to which God was willing to go in order to redeem the weak, wounded, and wayward. Look with me at verse, verses 3 to 4. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. We're seeing here Jesus is bearing our weakness. Literally those words sorrow and grief, they mean pain and sickness. He became sick and sore. He was a man of pain, not just a man of sorrow, a man of pain. And he was rejected by his own people. Think about for a moment. What sort of things do you reject? You reject things that have no value to you. Think about the thing that you threw in the trash today. I got an Amazon package. The packaging, it doesn't matter to me anymore. I don't want it. I have no need of it. It's fulfilled its purpose. And now it's dirty. I want to throw it in the trash. That's what it means to reject what it means to reject somebody. That's what it means to be rejected, to be treated like trash. Jesus was treated like trash by his people, the delight of the Father. And they esteemed him smitten by him. And so he was. Verses 5 to 7 say this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was pierced for our transgressions. That word pierced means to be profaned, defiled. And it's used in Isaiah elsewhere to talk about the people of God's profaning of God's name. His law, his promises. And here it is used to describe the suffering of Jesus Christ. That's the nature of the cross. He was profaned for our sin. All of our idolatry, all of our perversions, all of our lack of love, our sins of commission, our sins of omission, all of our self-serving pride, 
he was defiled for it. That's what crucifixion was like. Crucifixion was a punishment reserved for the lowest of the low. It was taboo even for Romans to talk about. And it was used not just as an instrument of death or an instrument of torture, although it totally was. Maybe its most significant meaning is that it was used as an instrument of public shame and humiliation. Jesus very well may have been naked on the cross. Crowds gather in, walking by, to see this spectacle. To scoff, to deride, to mock. Jesus wasn't crushed in a closet. Or executed in a private room with a pane of glass and a few witnesses. Jesus, the Holy One, was violated before the crowd. And the crowd was those who were violating the Son of God. He didn't just die for our sin. He was humiliated for it. That's what it took. That's what was owed to us. Humiliate. Humiliation for eternity. Forsaken he was. Rejected by his people. And beyond belief, there is in scripture real evidence for there was real disruption between his relationship with the Father. He cries out in the Gospels, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Rejected me. Robert Murray Machini says this about those very words. He, Jesus, was without any comforts of God. No feeling that God loved him. No feeling that God pitied him. No feeling that God supported him. All that God had been to him before was taken from him now. And he had the feeling of the condemned. When the judge says, depart from me, ye cursed, he felt that God had said the same to him. That's the hell that Jesus endured on the cross. Banishment from God's presence, crushed by God's hand, and wounded for sin that he did not commit. Surely he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist says, He, the darling of heaven, the spotless lamb of God, was slain for the waywardness of the world, for the godless, but even more, for God's fickle sheep. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us have turned away from him, and he's been slain for us, even his people. He was humiliated. He died guilty, that the guilty that come to him in faith might be actually forgiven forever. He became sin so that our sin might be remembered no more by the God that we have betrayed. Later on in verse 11, we get glimmers of Jesus becoming sin on the cross and being able to Account righteousness 
to those that come to him in faith. That we would be considered to be as we ought to be before the Father. As we abide in Jesus. And the shame that he bore unjustly. He bore it and therefore he's able to heal our wounds and our shame. By his wounds we are healed. And he can do that because his wounds don't shout humiliation. They shout his delight for the one that he endured them for. You and me. Because of the cross, Jesus enjoys you. His wounds now bear dignifying power that can mend any broken heart, even as he's able to forgive any guilty sinner that comes to him in faith. Jesus bore our sin that even your present fickleness of heart could be forgiven. And that all the harm that you've endured at the hands of others could be swallowed up by the favor of God that he has won on your behalf. In this way, the cross is the centerpiece of the gospel. The centerpiece of God's glorious, redemptive plan to free his people from their sin, from their shame, and bring them back into the joy of communion with him. The cross is the peak of God's glory, for it testifies to his unequaled power to redeem anything. Any sinner, any sufferer, any man, any woman, for only he could turn death into something good. He can turn violation into something that brings peace. He can make wounds into agents of healing, real healing. And so for us tonight, the question is, do you know this kind of love? Have you really seen this kind of love? Maybe you don't know Jesus. Receive him. Receive this unbelievably unmerited favor that Jesus is offering us. And if you do know Jesus, do the exact same thing. Let's receive from the cross tonight. Bring all of our weakness, our woundedness, our waywardness, and see it all swallowed up into a sacrifice. Because what do we do after that? As we go into life, what, what does Good Friday mean for us? How does, how does it change life? How do we walk in this kind of grace? We abide. We abide daily in our crucified Christ who loved us more than his own honor. He, we abide in his wounds daily, resting in his love that has absorbed all of our sin, all of God's wrath. And now all we have is God's smile forever in Jesus Christ. Jesus invites us to bring all of our insecurities all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our social anxiety, all of our felt sense that we're not enough, all our failure, and bring it to him and let him heal it with his wounds. Our culture says something very different 
our culture says to bring all those things and to just flood yourself with more positive talk. Boost yourself up. Do what you want to do. Express your true self. Jesus says something very different. He doesn't deny all those things. All of our sin and our shame. He says, bring it to me and let me take it from you. And let me wrap you in my arms. And the reason why he can do that, the reason why we can talk about him that way is because the grave is empty. We don't have to wait until Sunday morning to talk about that. The grave is empty, which shows that the Father deemed Christ's sacrifice enough, sufficient, and his Father was so pleased with him that he raised him up. He raised him from the dead. He honored him. He restored to Jesus his honor in the resurrection. For he saw his marvelous feat of self-giving love and obedience. And when we abide in him, we honor him in that same way. We give him honor. He was humiliated for us. He gave up his honor for us, so we honor him. He became guilty for us. We declare him to be the king of kings. And as we're doing that, as we lift him up, we start to see ourselves change. We start to see a new communities spring up. We start to see the kingdom of God break in. One that is marked most significantly by self-giving love. We become a community of the cross in which we follow in his footsteps of forgiveness. We die many deaths for one another, absorbing the penalty of other people's sin, the shame that we endure when we're sinned against and we choose not to retaliate and we offer them the forgiveness of Jesus. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that takes a while. But by Jesus, we can do that. He brings peace. The chastisement that was laid on him brings us peace. And that word there is shalom. All things right. All things as they ought to be. And that's our promise. And so as we're doing that, we just want to lift up the living Jesus together here at Community. That's what we want to do tonight. We sing of a crucified Savior, but we sing of a glorious living Savior who is humiliated no more, who is dead no longer, but alive. And he is the one who has healed us, who can heal us. He is the one who has forgiven us, who can forgive us. And he's the one who has raised our dead hearts to life. And he is able to continue to give us life as we find our ultimate joy in him. Amen? So again, I... I'll be in the back there um, just offering prayer if anybody wants to come and receive prayer um, as we sing. But let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for the cross. Thank you so much for deeming us to be of more worth to you and deeming your Father's will of more worth to you than your own honor, than your own dignity. You gave it all up for us. You suffered a, a criminal's death on our behalf. You let the, the gavel of divine justice fall on you that we might go free, 
that we might be liberated to love, that we might be healed to be holy in you. And we pray that you would make us like that. In Jesus' name, amen.